1: hi
2: (laughs) hello (laughs) how are ya we could do that old um that that sitcom hi 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 uh what's happening what's happening yeah that was dwayne wayne dwayne wayne we get rerun in here and raj (laughs) and in the really sarcastic mean sister what was her name d d that's right it was d So that's taking you back again to the 70s. We keep dating ourselves. Don't do that. You go blind. (laughs) Yeah, I think we need some street cred, though. What does that
0: mean? I mean, we got to start, you know, rolling by, popping some caps and asses and stuff.
2: (laughs) We can quote from the Bible while we're doing it. That's right. (laughs) Like, uh, what was his name? Jules. Jules, right. Jules something from Pulp yeah. Fiction. Yeah, and, and I need a new wallet, too, if we're going to go. <laughs> you, you, you really do. Right? <laughs> we right. both need new haircuts and a couple of suits. <laughs> right. I just couldn't figure out if they were the Blues Brothers or they were gangsters. <laughs> what What the heck were they with those suits? We're musicians, ma'am. We're on a mission from God. <laughs> Hagroyd's right. a great line. Wow. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely dating us from the 70s that's, and 80s. That's the best music movie ever absolutely they crashed more cars in that by the way than in any film ever something like 80 or something yeah it's probably one of my favorite movies of all time so what are we drinking let's just let's just just spill
0: all it may as well be uh, wine out of a box <laughs> but it's uh... It's wine with a screw top. The first time I've had that in a long time since, well, I could actually pay for it myself. Except it's real wine. They're it's actually doing wine. that now. Yeah, this is a Matolo Jester 2004 Shiraz. It's a Shiraz. That's right. So there you go. And wine. It's not too bad. I like it. John says it's sweet. I think he's high on crack. The first couple of sips were were uh, pretty good, but I'm not sure if it's a,
2: it's a keeper for me. I'm liking this. Oh, good. I'm good. I, I think this is... Uh... Uh, one of the better ones we've had, to be honest, for me. Better wines, like, of all time, or better Shiraz? Um, Of all the wines we've had, this is uh, at least in the top 40. <laughs> and we have had probably 40. Probably right around there. No, it's yeah. up there. Maybe top 10. Cool. I like it. Yeah. I don't mind it at all. So superhero has yes. everybody been watching with us superhero there was a shake-up last Huge. week or this week the guy that i predicted from the beginning gone captain shiny pants <laughs> that's right major victory yeah that's his name they got rid of him because they felt he was campy
0: yes because he wasn't serious about his superhero-ness and I could see where they would want him to be serious because it's so real, <laughs> well, right, you know when you're saving people and you're It's serious business man you're taking out uh you know crime villains
2: or super villains, you need to be serious. you can't yeah. be joking around and well, the thing that appealed to me about him I was talking about this with John earlier was that he was sort of campy, and uh, no, I'm not talking about cycling, but um Shh. no he was one sort person of- got that <laughs> he was sitting right across from you <laughs> Todd got it though too. <laughs> Todd in, in Minneapolis who has yet to comment on that track we played that uh that first track we played last week. Mhm. He hasn't commented on the blog. I called him out on last week's show, I so I can only imagine he hasn't been listening. He's probably trapped under something heavy. So get Jerk. Him well, some Well, he needs a superhero. He needs one. But anyway, I love the fact that uh, major victory was campy because I I grew up watching like those 50s Superman ones with uh I don't even remember the names of the people, but, you know, the 50s. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's right. a plane, and all that Superman, stuff. like George Reeves. George Reeves, mm-hmm. that's right. And uh, I thought they were played a little campy, you know. It was a, little, a little, little campy, so I thought. They had the pompadour going. Yeah, I thought Major Victory captured that perfectly, and for me, I was like, wow, that's right on. But apparently, Mr. Lee disagreed. Yeah, well, you know, the kids thought he was pretty funny. You know who we haven't heard from on the whole superhero thing on our blog? We have a listener named John. He used to actually have the name Spider-Man on my BBS, okay. Chaos, back in the day. He's a local guy. We met him. Black leather jacket at the Biddy's show. Mm-hmm. Came with his sister. Mm-hmm. John, bust it out, man. Let us know what you think of the whole superhero show because we know you're watching. <laughs> it's as simple as that. You, you can't just outed fool, him. You can't
0: fool us or superhero anyone else who fan. knows you. Oh, man. It's it's a bad thing. So Major Victory fell this week. Who else fell this week? The planet Pluto? Yeah. Planet Pluto has been demoted from planet status. It's a
2: minor planet or a... Dwarf actually planet. a dwarf planet. I, I, Leo and I were talking about what we should call these things, and I, I am opting for Planito. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like something you get at Taco Bell. <laughs> hey, and that's exactly what Leo said. I was going for like the Spanish diminutive, you know, Planito, and he goes, that sounds like a tasty snack. <laughs> And then and like we a chalupa with a side of planito, or we could do the Italian and call it a planini, but that already sounds like a food. A you know? planissimo, yeah, you could do that. And it's funny because the movie I'm going to talk about later, wordplay. There was an inadvertent joke in here because when they made this film, like two, you know, a year ago when they were filming it, right. there was a Pluto reference, and they, really? you know, it was just funny. Yeah, and everybody in the theater kind of laughed because it's topically. it currently it's funny, but when they made this, it wasn't. So there you go.
0: Yeah, so we've got a a jam-packed show this week. There's too much to talk about, so let's get rolling right into the first tune. I think.
2: No, I just want to say one thing. John and I were watching some of the footage from this, and uh, if any of you out there have not seen the Comedy Central William Shatner (sighs) roast, you guys really got to see it. It was so politically incorrect, but it was so funny. I'm hoping they release an uncensored DVD of this thing because it was a laugh riot. Well, it certainly has kept Andy Dick's career going. Yeah, and boy, did they roast him, that poor guy, you know? I don't think he's poor. No, he's probably doing all right, but I don't know. Uh, there were so uh, many memorable lines on there, and I'm actually going to say one of the mem- memorable lines, and it isn't even blue, and the show was very blue, as John can attest. One of the one of the roasters looked at Shatner and said, my, you've really let yourself boldly go. That's right. <laughs> that's a good line. He has, too. Yes, he has. So we're going to jump into a tune, I guess, since John has commanded it. Yes, And this is uh, Victor Gray, and uh, they're a band I helped record. And I think John's brother did not play on it, but did the graphic layout for the record. And it's called Feed Her Heart.
3: Pleasant i
2: There you go. And there you have it. Children everywhere. I dig it. (laughs) John's kids are having a party today. No, they're just being kids. What was the name of the, well, they're having a party.
0: Well, it's not like they're, you know, dancing around and they've got flashing lights and.
2: Well, there's a mirror ball. I mean, I did see that.
0: Well, you know, you
2: got to have the mirror ball. So that was Victor Gray. When they came into the studio, they had no name for the band yet, so they were working under the title One Arm Keith. <laughs> I don't really know what that means, but it's sort of memorable. And that band has in it uh, Hans Storzberg on guitar, Todd Weeks on bass, and the great Kurt Kemp on drums. And uh, we've played some of Hans' stuff before, a couple of his solo album things, and uh, actually a solo guitar thing from here uh, called Busy Intersection, that little solo guitar thing we play. Mm-hmm. So I guess we can link to Hans Storzberg's website, hansstorsberg.com for these sure. guys good stuff uh, we'll play some more of that there's like three or four tracks on there in total that I really dig so let's just jump right into the homework <laughs> yeah it's, it seems
0: like it was just you know minutes ago when we
2: started talking about yeah, this I don't crazy.
0: know yeah the homework has been sitting around for a while 2005 film Kiss Kiss Bang Bang by Shane Black the director, this is his first time uh, directing job I He's, finally got around to seeing it yeah, Rich finally got to see it yeah, Chain Black, uh, not known to be the world's most, uh, I, don't, I don't know how you say, sophisticated writer. Hmm. You familiar with him? Um, Not really. Some of his writing credits were like uh, Lethal Weapon 2. I- I've heard of
2: that. Lethal Weapon 1. I've heard of that one too. Lethal Weapon 4. They, if I'm not mistaken, have that guy in it. <laughs> Danny Glover? Yeah. No, the other one. He who seems to get drunk and, and bash Jewish people. Joe Pesci? No, not Joe Pesci. I, I'm drawing
0: a blank. Gibson. Here. William Gibson? Yes. Oh wow! I knew you were going to go
2: there. Yeah, he also wrote a long kiss, good night. He loves the kiss thing. Yeah. Because if I'm not mistaken, Danny Glover and Mel Gibson are kissing in all of the uh, Lethal Weapon films. That's right.
0: There are there are some latent homosexual undertones in there. Oh, latent! Woof. A long kiss, good night. As uh, I think that was the one with Gina Davis mm-hmm.
2: or Gene Autry, that too. Last Action Hero, Gene Wilder. I actually have not seen Last Action Hero. I was avoiding that one. <laughs> the Last Boy Scout. So he's got this kiss. I and have last seen The thing. Last Boy Scout. So he's a big action kind of film, kind so, of. So it would seem, yeah.
0: He's into the gun thing buddy
2: film kind of yeah yeah so why don't you let it rip since this was your infernal idea <laughs> this is silly homework <laughs> you make it sound like you had no fun watching this film
0: well we'll talk about that <laughs> okay so anyways this this is like i said his first time directing and it was uh he also did the screenplay i don't think he wrote this story it was i think it was by brett halliday um, but it's a it's like a noir kind of detective thing, but it's also very self-referential, meaning the, the film is self-aware. It's it's um, Robert Downey Jr. stars in it as a petty thief, and he... Petty thief turned Hollywood. Turned Hollywood, even. In a strange, strange turn of events. Yeah, I don't want to give that away if you haven't seen it, but there are going to be some other spoilers in this, I guess. Uh, But he he gets into the film business, but what we're actually seeing on film is him narrating and describing the way that he got into film, and it also ties into this murder mystery that he's sort of wrapped up into. He sort of gets involved in. Yeah, and one of the reasons why I I like this film is because it reminds me a little bit, a little bit, of one of my favorite films of all time, Chinatown.
2: Chinatown, yeah,
0: and in that film you have Jack Nicholson playing a detective, mm-hmm. and he actually gets intimately involved in the in the the case that he's working on. He's yeah, not, he's he... not outside of the case, as is it often happens in these film noir kind of Bogart esque films, um, where the the detective gets emotionally involved with the you know the the dames, the dames. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but the the best part about this film for me and we'll talk about a lot of the details, is the dialogue. I think that it it sort of captures that noir banter where where you've got these characters almost reveling in everything that they say, not unlike this.
2: Yeah. Okay. You have nothing to say. (laughs) Well, I thought the dialogue was very sharp. I definitely did. The film actually drew me in immediately, you know, the whole way... That the uh, Morton Downey, I mean, the Robert Downey character. uh, I knew that was coming too. uh, Sort of finds his way uh, to Hollywood and he's suddenly at these parties. And what was the line that he said when he was trying to impress the girl? She's like, What do you do? And he said, I invented dice. (laughs) I invented dice. Yeah. I'm I'm retired. (laughs) I so, so wanted to drop that line without having to ask you to remember it for me. (laughs) That's
0: right. And, and there are a lot of lines in that where it's very quotable film because
2: everyone seems to be sarcastic. And the film breaks the rule. It breaks the rule where you kind of like, you don't look at the camera. You know how Magnum P.I. used to look at the camera and mm-hmm. <laughs> he used to do that silly giggle and raise his eyebrows? The, much in the way that, you would call it self-referential, and much in the way that you know Magnum P.I. might have done that, this film does that too.
0: Yeah, it breaks that fourth wall, as they say. Yeah,
2: he's he's the narrator also.
0: Yeah, he's the narrator, and and the other thing it yeah, does he stars in it. It's he stops the film in some cases, and even circles things, rewinds and it, rewinds <laughs> it, and says, "Why do I have this scene in here?" You know, he even talks about that. Um, and near the end of the film, um, I, I've got a list of quotes here that I want to go through some of them because they're they're pretty funny. At the end of the film, he says, "Don't worry, I've seen Lord of the Rings. I'm not going to end this thing seventeen or twenty times the way that it did." So it's not only aware of itself; it's aware of the fact that it is a film and that it's related to other films, it's, it's not like this other world that it's trying to create. Right, right. And the other memorable character in this, Gay Perry. Gay Perry. Um, Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer,
2: yeah. Actually, uh, I thought his character was a wonderful character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he added a lot to the film. You know, initially, uh, my feeling when I got done watching this film was, jeez, this is a little cavalier with violence. That was my initial feeling because it bummed me out at times. There was really? so much violence. I mean it's not it's not reservoir dogs. No, I mean it's 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 but there's violence in there and it seemed mm-hmm. a little cavalier with it. And I couldn't tell if it was trying to be a dark comedy. Or an action noir film, like you, like kind of like detective noir kind of film, like you were talking about. So uh, I'm still unclear about exactly what it was trying to be. It was a little schizophrenic. I saw a film. I know I talked about it on the show called El Crimen Perfecto, mm-hmm. which is the Perfect Crime in Spanish. And that film was clearly just a dark comedy, you know, right. and and you should put it on your list, your queue. But yeah, I I thought after thinking about the film, I'm still not sure whether it was trying to be a dark. Maybe it was trying to be both, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really good. But anyway, go ahead, continue.
0: Well, and I want to comment a little bit on the violence, and I think that it it did have quite a bit of violence in it, and and I don't know if it was any more violent than say uh, a any of the other noir films like the, the Maltese Falcon would have been at, at that time. You were talking about the thirties and forties in the Maltese Falcon. You've got dead bodies. You've got this guy just getting murdered. Um, hey, of course there's a dead body. There's a guy walking into, well, he could have had a heart attack. Well, he could have, but he died of lead poisoning actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, the guy walks into, uh, the, uh, Detective's office, and he just falls over dead. You've got the the guy's um, partner who was murdered. You've got all these murders happening it's just today, and in, in film today. We're sort of desensitized to a lot of the horrible violence.
2: I probably see. was the from my frame of mind probably had a lot to do with the way I felt about that. Another thing that I was just thinking about, and this is just a comment on Hollywood action films in general. There's just all of these impossible, could-never-happen stunts happening. Right. And, you know, like at the end, he's hanging off the bridge. He summons the gun with the force to his hand, and he kills Arnie Becker from L.A. Law. That's right. That's another thing. And funny. I, I just, I, I am a little bit tired of the whole sort of impossible stunts that just couldn't happen, you know? I mean, you just can't. That's just not going to happen. And then he's not going to fall in the car, shoot the guy when he gets out of the car, and avoid getting shot through the roof of the car, and then say, finally, I killed all the bad guys. Done. And then there's no repercussions. Where are the cops? Like, there, there's gunfire for crying out loud. Right, but but this is one of those things where,
0: from the very beginning of the movie, I was very aware that I'm watching someone's interpretation of real events. This is this is Harry, the main character. So what you're saying is I was not aware of that. No, no. I'm, what I'm saying is, when those scenes came up, I wasn't saying, oh, geez, it's another film that's being outrageous and we're supposed to believe that he fell out. No, I'm saying to myself, this is him showing what a great action guy he is and how he saved the day. He's actually painting this as we're going through it, so that's his embellishment. I looked at it as his embellishment. Mm, yeah, that could be. <laughs> and, and I sense some disbelief there.
2: <laughs> well, no, no, I, that, that's certainly a valid interpretation. I'm not, I, I'm i I'm up in the air right now. i got to think about it some more. All right, well, while you're thinking, I've got a couple
0: of quotes here to remind you of some of the things that, that were pretty damn funny in this but film.
2: Just make sure you're talking to the microphone. You mean like this? Yeah, like exactly like that. And if your ear were your mouth, it would be fine. <laughs> Speaking of quotes like that, if your
0: ear were your mouth, this one's good. Um, Perry, who seemed to have this relationship with Harry, gay Perry and Harry, they always would go back and forth, and, and Perry was constantly insinuating that Harry was an idiot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Completely. Because he is. Because <laughs> he is. And, and in fact, he really is sort of, Finding himself in these situations by dumb luck. Literally dumb luck. But Perry says to him, look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? And Harry says, a picture of me, you know, trying to be clever. He says, no, the definition of idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which you are, he says. So I, I think that was a pretty good one. Don't you remember any of the other ones? something rotten in denver yeah well
2: i remember that because you uh led one of our uh blog posts with it and uh andy didn't quite get it until he had seen the show either (laughs) something (laughs) rotten in denver and it's an omelet that's right
0: and then the um the damsel in distress in this actually isn't too much of a damsel in distress she can take care of herself but she was this failed actress b-movie actress and she did television commercial and or at just, least one at least yeah. one and it yeah. killed me it was for this gennaro's beer <laughs>
3: yeah
0: <laughs> and they kept playing it gennaro's and, olive oil might have been more appropriate right and and there was this character of a big bear kind of like there was actually
2: a, a bear character for a, a beer lately mm-hmm. yeah um and a, and a cola that's right around the holidays they they, they were cute and cuddly and slide down snowbanks, and
0: but the bear in this tv ad said I'm for Gennaro's, but then what do I know?
2: I'm a bear. I suck the heads off fish. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I uh, I thought the dialogue was fantastic. I was torn between liking it and not liking it because the the mental frame of mind I was in this, the state of mind I was in, it just struck me as being a little violent, and that was probably not the right night for me to watch the film, but looking back on it, I, yeah, I thought it was a nice piece of work. I'm actually a big Morton downer. Di- Robert Downey fan. <laughs> now you're not even doing it on purpose. No, I was on purpose. I, I think his best performance was when he played Chaplin, Far and Away. Wow. But He was in Far and Away? No, no. He was in Chaplin. Oh. He okay. played Charlie Chaplin. You Perhaps you've seen or heard of him. Silent film star. Martin Downey? Yeah, he had, a, <laughs> he had a great show. I think he was opposite Montel. Yeah, he was. And Ricky Lake. They were. They were a big, happy family of daytime rubbish. <laughs> Sally, Jesse, Raphael. Who, Sally Jesse? Uh, yeah, I've heard of her. But what the heck was I just talking about? You just so you did what I normally do. <laughs> I know. And yeah, um, <laughs>
1: the,
2: the, the, the chaplain. Yeah. Chaplain. Yes, that, that, that was his his pièce de résistance. resistance. that was a great uh, that was a great performance. It it was. But I think that and then he went to the drugs. He did the drugs. He did. Yes, lots of them. Yeah, and and the whole jail thing too. <laughs> he did the jail thing. Maybe that prepared him for this role,
0: w- which it may have. And you know, that's the thing that I'm thinking about. And in, in this film, he seems to be in a you know small way playing himself. He's not the clean cut leading
2: man. He's a guy who really, deep down, is just a petty thief and a liar. Right. He was robbing a toy store, wasn't he, in the beginning of the yeah, film? Yeah, he was. And he was a on toy the phone with like his niece, like, which toy am I supposed to rob? You yeah, know? he was robbing a toy store for Christmas. I mean, how how
0: nasty is that? And his buddy of his gets shot. So anyway, and that's how the whole thing starts out. But I'm not going to give away that, that right. twist.
2: And he, Well, he bursts down the door of an audition and then all hell breaks loose.
0: Yeah, but I, I can't say enough about, for me, how this sort of struck a chord with that dialogue. Because if, if you're a fan of those films like The Maltese Falcon where you've got this narration going on or you've got this banter, Bogart... Reeling out these lines describing the situation. She walked
2: into my office. <laughs>
0: yeah. And and like in that had film, legs all the way down their ankles. I mean this guy's like tough and gritty, and one of my favorite lines from that he's got the leading lady there who's actually gonna be sent away because she was part of the crime and she's crying and she's saying and she's saying you know you're gonna be i'm gonna be going don't you even want to say anything to me aren't, aren't you shaken up he's like yeah i'm gonna have a couple of rough nights <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i'll be fine I'll, I'll be i'll have a couple of rough nights but i'll get over it and it's the same thing with this you know there are these lines that just keep coming out it's like every single person in this film is witty and
2: sarcastic well i like wit and sarcasm I and mean, i like crisp dialogue you know which is To change films entirely, we've sort of been broaching on Pulp Fiction and Tarantino ruins a while. But the dialogue in Pulp Fiction was so crisp and so sharp, and it was just right on. It kind of led you into the concept that these underworld thugs have lives too, you know, outside of like killing people. You know, they're talking about foot massages and things Mm -hmm. like that. And uh, you know, Jules had the best line ever. Or maybe it was uh, Vincent. I don't remember. They all had great lines. I'm the foot effing master. That's <laughs> like one of the funniest
0: things I've ever heard. Well, and they do a little bit of that in this, too. There are some some uh, thugs who are going to be taking out our, our main characters. And one guy kept calling himself, I'm Mr. Frying Pan, and this is fire <laughs> he's describing. They're their partners. And then they sort of had a dialogue, and, and they're talking about, yeah, we go together like Mike and Mustard. And they're saying... I've never heard of that before. And then they, <laughs> then they start this whole dialogue about what they just said, about the threats that they're making, brings them into the real world. And and the other thing that I, I kind of liked about this was you had some, some scenes where these guys are trying to be tough guys and it just doesn't work out. Right. The scene in particular, which I'm going to give away something here, when they find the guy at this psych ward and they've got him on his knees and they're threatening him and Harry tries to be suave and cool, so he takes all the bullets out of the gun, puts one in the
2: chamber, <laughs> spins the revolver. That's one of the very cavalier moments of that, the film. That's too. right. For me, I was like, that's really... He killed somebody. Well, yeah. in, in the film, anyway. Yeah, but he, And
0: he's saying, you know... Give me the information. Basically, points the gun at him, and he's trying to scare him by shooting him, but he actually kills him by accident.
2: All because he doesn't know math and percentages. You yeah, know, he, I only had an, it's a six shooter, and he's I only had an eight percent chance of killing him, right? right? No, it's like where'd you learn math? Yeah, what, divide a hundred by six. It's not eight. <laughs> yeah, so which takes you, us to the deer hunter.
0: Well, and that was <laughs> a little bit cavalier with the shooting.
2: Well, yeah, a little bit. But that film was From the beginning A much more Intended to be A much more serious film Right You know it wasn't You know I was sort of This film was a little On the fence for me I wasn't It wasn't clear to me You know what it was Trying to be But I found it entertaining It was good And that's And it. Martin Downey Jr. Was, <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I mean it didn't It didn't really Blow me away You know I mean there are films That have totally Blown me away And um, you know It didn't just Really really capture me but uh, it, it was good. I, I enjoyed it. You know, it, it would get a thumb. See, for me, that's why I'm, I'm
0: surprised because I was really taken by this film.
2: I think it just uh, seriously. It, it totally had a lot to do with the frame of mind I was in when I watched it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as as much as I like Morton, I mean Robert Downey Jr. Uh, and uh, Morton Downey, we miss you. Um, there there are there are Peace. things I don't like about Robert Downey too. And you know. So when I see him I'm I'm intrigued and repulsed at the same time. It's I know it's really strange, but that's really how I feel about Robert Downey Jr. Because is, you're thinking about his personal life? Yeah, kind of, you yeah. know. I mean it it does it bleeds over into the into the uh the reality of the who I'm seeing. I mean, I know I I actually realize that I'm not seeing Harry. I'm, I'm actually looking at Robert Downey and he's just, you know, kind of a little strange.
0: <laughs> what about that scene when they're in the bar and he just points over to it's Native American Joe Pesci
2: <laughs> Those <laughs> references were great Because they sort of remind me about the way you, The way we talk to one another When we want to describe someone, Oh, It's kind of a cross between this and that And yeah Native American Joe Pesci and there Punk was, rock Steven Seagal Punk rock Steven Seagal was great that's very, very I love that kind of dialogue. It's very crisp, it's it's very sharp and uh, it was right on the money too. Yeah, it was and great. The plot almost seemed to be secondary in this. It was almost like the film reveling in itself, the people talking Exa- to each other. Yeah, yeah, and, and there you go. And so it what was it trying to be? You know, for me again, yeah, it was sort of reveling in itself, maybe to the point of um you know, I don't want to say arrogance, but maybe to the point of, of excess, you know what I mean? That, that's I guess that's where I'm going with that.
0: And as much as I love film and as much as I love films that are very thoughtful and and thought-provoking, I sort of—the the reason why I, I seem to be taken by this film is I, I keep thinking about how this was a very two-dimensional film. It was there to present itself as, look, film is nothing more than just projections on a wall, and it's very superficial, and let's just have fun with the superficiality. Let's not try to make you— Think about life and, and politics. and I think Sean Penn else. would disagree a lot with that
2: statement. <laughs> when was the last time I really cared what Sean Penn would say? I, hey, <laughs> the guy's a major talent. Come on. He was on Inside the Actor's <clears throat> Studio, and he was sort of making a general comment on some of the, the schlock that Hollywood produces. And he goes, you know, this is a serious art form. This can really affect people. You know, we just should be doing something more serious. And I think there's room for both. But I, well, but this is, this is a big debate that I've had before with people about any kind of
0: art form. Since when does art only have justification if it can provoke thought or if it pushes political buttons or if it's trying to make the world a better place? How about making an individual happy?
2: How about just presenting itself in a formal manner? We talked about this I, when, we, when we talked about it. I don't disagree at all. But at the same time, I, I do want my art to be thought-provoking most of the time. You know what I mean? You see where I'm coming from? <laughs> I catch your drift. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I I love I love just senseless comedy and just ridiculousness. And I, I actually am a, a lover of document documentaries. I mean, I would rather see a documentary than a... How about the making of this
0: film? Maybe that would be better for you. And I
2: didn't, I I was going to listen to the director's commentaries, but I didn't. I wanted to get my my first disc of the uh, Rome miniseries, so I sent it back right away to Blockbuster. See, now that would be pretty bizarre. Watching
0: the narrator, the director narrating a film that's being narrated. So maybe I'll have to
2: call it and get it back and actually do that. Do you do that when you get the films? Do you watch the director's commentaries? Because I find it uh, very intriguing. If, sometimes there's actors, sometimes there's directors, sometimes there's both and you know this is this is a it's a good question. I mean this is something that we should talk about more
0: in depth, but I find that if I enjoyed the film from the start, I don't go back and do anything. I just I don't look at the features, I don't look at anything. I just enjoy the film and let it stew in my head and I enjoy that experience. If the film was sort of so-so and mediocre, maybe this is I've touched on something that's my judge that's my criteria
2: if I start looking at the special features it it means that I want something more out of it okay for me that's not true at all I mean I just I want to hear about the director's process you know what I mean His whole filmmaking process, and sometimes it's just sometimes he's sitting with the actors, and it's just fun to hear them talk and recount. Sometimes, sometimes those things are like hardcore movie making. Looks at movie making, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? The director talks about his process, and sometimes it's just them talking about, "Hey, remember when we went out and got hammered after that scene? That was great." You know, "Hey, look, Bob left his cell phone on this the table in that scene." Yeah, or kind of silly things. Yeah, sometimes it's a little bit of both, and I I find them all amusing. So I, I. try to and films that on films that i own i always check out the extra features you know on films that i've rented that's not necessarily true it depends on if i want to get something else or i want to return it right away or if i'm going to get late fees or whatever
0: yeah yeah let's i think we should uh look into that maybe start talking about the special features on on these films because maybe there's something good that we can point out
2: i'm i guess i'm going to sign you homework and you already have it i delivered it today uh-oh <laughs> great World's Fastest Indian. Not that it's a, an amazingly thought-provoking film. It's just a giant barrel of laughs. It's it's like a barrel of monkeys, but, but not as good. It's a barrel of laughing monkeys? <laughs> it's a barrel of... They don't... Yeah. It's a barrel of laughing... So, yeah, why not? Let's talk about World's Fastest Indian next but week. But you already talked about that one. I know, but... Kay from Arizona likes it when we both have seen the film. Okay, we'll talk about it again. Bore the pants off of people. No, it'll be fun to get your perspective on it. Because I've been actually wanting you to see it, and since whatever silly video service you subscribe to hasn't shifted to you yet, <laughs> I've just brought it over. I've broughten it over. Well, I guess I'll have to watch it then. That's my homework. And if anyone else wants to do the homework, you can do it, too. You really should watch this film because it's just a barrel of laughs. It's so cool. And Anthony Hopkins is so great and it's so much fun. And there's, what's his name? Adam Curry. Woohoo Anyway, for those of you in Australia and Europe, Adam Curry, former MTV VJ, now... Insignificant. Dead silence. (laughs) That's the sound of me clapping at him. Anyways, we got another tune. That's the sound of zero hands clapping, That's right.
0: And according to this tune, the Clintons are a fan of the bean. And this is sort of appropriate because you,
2: too, are a fan of the bean. I certainly am. I am a fan of the leaf. (laughs) And tea leaves I'm actually referring to. Not the weed. (laughs) Not the the weed, but a kind of leaf. And what's this one called? Fan of the Bean. A fan of the Bean. Cool.
1: Cool. I woke up today. Needed in my system, not a price to pay. I tell you about a blondie who was really hot. I tell you how she broke me, but I'd rather not. Instead, I'll tell you about my trip to Vegas. Hanging out. I had to poke, but I lost my grip. I had to get too many, now my brain's gone soft. Maybe fearing loving wasn't too far off. It's got a strangle on me. It's got a strangle on me. What well, I think it's obscene. I'm addicted to caffeine, it's a damn not a fan of the bean. I think it's obscene. I'm addicted to caffeine, it's a damn not a fan of the bean. can't get going without it it's a love-hate-hate-love-love-hate hate, love, love, hate thing so I bust up the whooping stick and step outside The mustard full of ladies goes cruising by stereo's pumping up being out mix, but I can't chase them till I get my fix it's got a stranglehold on me it's got a stranglehold on me while I think it's insane I'm addicted to caffeine It's a damn not a fan of the I'm addicted to caffeine and today I'm not a fan of the bean. Jeez. can we take it from
3: the top? <laughs>
1: It's got a stranglehold on me 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 I'm it's insane. I'm addicted to caffeine And today I'm not a fan of the bean. It's obscene. I'm addicted to caffeine. Damn, not a fan of the bean. Damn, not a fan of the bean. Damn, not a fan of the bean. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Are you a fan of the bean? And I don't mean that British comedian guy. Oh, no. Because no. <laughs> nobody's really a fan of him. What the hell is he still doing on the air? That's He's brilliant. <laughs> Genius. No, I've got bean right here. John is drinking the bean. And you know, I'm a little bit embarrassed, but I'm going to tell the world he has a Starbucks coffee mug. It's a coffee mug. It's not Starbucks coffee. I know, but, you know, let's not support the Starbucks. They're just giant corporate entity. It was given to me. What am I going to do, throw it out? That song, I guess if Van Morrison played Ska, that's kind of what that would be, the bean. Oh, that song. Yeah, that that was the Clintons. <laughs> it was the Clintons, and I'm that sort of dovetails nicely with where I'm going now. I'm going to talk about Bill Clinton. Where are you going? So I film at Munson Williams Proctor Arts Institute, mwpai.org. You know, those guys. Ticketmasters. masters. <laughs> yeah, ticket masters. Yeah, that's what I should call them. <laughs> And I saw a really cool film, and actually two very lighthearted films in a row. We saw The, uh, the Thing with the Thing and the, the Garrison Keillor thing last week, and this was wordplay, which is about crossword puzzles and just general wordplay in general. Right. General, Generally, it's about general wordplay in general. Not specifically, Generally. Yeah, it's not specifically about crossword puzzles. It's generally about crossword puzzles. But this is, this film kind of centers around the crossword puzzle world championship circles and the kind of community that uh, gets together once a year and does the uh, world championship thing in New York City. Actually, the American World, uh, not world, but the American Crossword Puzzle Championship is held in Connecticut, Stanford, Connecticut, and it's hosted by Will Shorts. We all know Will Shorts because he's the puzzle editor for the New York Times. And he's got master. a master. Actually, he's an enigmatologist. That, that confounds me. <laughs> As it should. <laughs> uh, apparently, if you go to Indiana University, uh, Pennsylvania? You're, you're allowed to know. <laughs> You're allowed to uh, write your own major in your own curriculum. So he wants, if you're accepted, apparently, you're allowed to write your curriculum. So he wanted to do a curriculum and did on puzzles and the history of puzzles. And he coined the phrase or had heard the phrase enigmatologist. And that is what his major was at Indiana University. Enigmatology. I'm not making this up. This is right out of the film, man. I believe you completely. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Will Shorts, he hosts the American... Uh, championship every year in Stamford, Connecticut, and they kind of finish there all of the. And what's really cool about this film, and it is a documentary, by the way, that probably wouldn't make a very good narrative. (laughs) Although, if, uh, Christopher Guest was in it, it probably would be pretty good. Yeah, he should be in it, actually. And it, it, what we do throughout the, the course of this film is we interview a lot of the people who are Potential champions and world champions and former world champions And kind of get uh, a little uh, insight into them But what's nice is they also interview a bunch of celebrities One of whom I know you know is in the film Because you mentioned him to me last week And some of the celebrities who love doing the Times Crossword Puzzle Include Bill Clinton, Bob Dole, John Stewart, Ken Burns Mike Messina and uh, the Indigo Girls Really? Or is it just Indigo Girls? Um, it says the Indigo Girls I don't know I think know. that's it's... incorrect And Eurythmics <laughs> Wait a minute. They're now, still
0: they're still together?
2: No, I'm making that up. Neither uh, Annie Lennox or the other guy with the beard w- uh, was in this Dave film. Stewart? <laughs> Dave Stewart, yeah. And uh, what I love about this film is that I learned so many things about... I've always wanted to know how someone who authors crossword puzzles goes about it, what the process is like. Again, it's part of that process thing. It's sort of like the director commentaries. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know what they do when they make a crossword puzzle. And this guy literally just takes a grid kind of decides on the theme of the puzzle and fills in his major clues that he's thought of in advance. And then he puts in the black squares where there aren't letters. And one thing I didn't know, but I guess uh, in looking back, I, I guess it sort of intuitively it had to be true. Crossword puzzles, when you flip them over 180 degrees, those black squares are the same. They're mirror images, if you will. You know what I mean? It's not just, like, random, you know? If you flip it over, the black squares are in the same place, 180 degrees. I didn't know that. I did not know that. And there was a bunch of rules apparently decided by one of the early New York Times puzzle editors who had decided that it was a woman whose last name was uh, Farrar, F-A-R-R-A-R, which is a former friend of our—actually, still a friend, but a former uh, local resident. But they pronounced it Farrar, I think. Hmm. It was a woman. So anyway, and what, what was cool is we sort of got some insight into, like, why these guys like Clinton and Dole and John Stewart— do the puzzle thing. Who does them in pen? Who does them in pencil? And that's critical when you're doing the times puzzle. Well, it's like you know? a psychological. It's a pest. confidence thing, you know. Yeah. And of course, John Stewart. John Stewart was really funny. He's like, "I'm so confident, I'm going to do this one in glue stick." And that was <laughs> kind of funny. Um, my one of my comments is that Ken Burns needs a haircut. You know, wonderful yeah. documentarian, wonderful filmmaker, but good lord, somebody give that man a part. He looks like a muppet. He does actually, but you know we'll forgive him because he's made some good documentaries. A couple. One of the people they interview who makes puzzles is a guy named Merle. Yes, Merle. John just the look John just gave me, Merle Regal, and he's one of the more famous New York Times puzzle makers. And <laughs> I picture this guy like Liberace, <laughs> Merle Regal. Like walks into the room with a cape in rhinestones. rhinestone There's a big white piano with mirrors on it and. He's wearing makeup. He's got to be wearing makeup. No, Merle was just a bearded, everyday-looking guy eating at a Denny's or something. Ah. And Merle, apparently you're not a puzzle maker. You're not a puzzle creator. You're not a puzzle author. If you make crossword puzzles, you are a puzzle constructor. (laughs) Well, it makes sense. There's a lot of welding and big I-beams, a lot of big steel going on when you you make a puzzle. (laughs) Constructor, it sounds... Way too serious, man. I know. It's like the uh, Vogons. Remember, their fleet was the Vogon Destructor fleet that came and uh, destroyed the Earth. So uh, this is a really cool insight and look into the whole crossword puzzle thing. And I love word puzzles and puzzles in general and things that make you think. And one of the puzzles that they had was when uh, Clinton was running against Bob Dole. Bob Dole. Saturday Night Live used to do a great spoof of him. Bob Dole likes crossword puzzles. And one of the clues was, it was a New York Times crossword puzzle, and one of the clues was tomorrow's New York Times headline, and it was, of course, Election Day when this puzzle ran. And it was very cleverly done because uh, the answer could have been Clinton elected or Bob Dole elected. And the, the brilliance of that puzzle, that particular puzzle, was that the vertical words had to be words for both Clinton or Bob Dole, and they were. I can't even imagine how many hours it must have taken that puzzle constructor (laughs) to come up with that one, but that's very clever because at first the person would probably put Clinton in there, not even thinking that Bob Dole was an option, and they might have actually thought that perhaps the New York Times was leaning a particular way with who they wanted to win, but it was cool that they, they managed to get both of them in there.
0: Sometimes those things just happen, though. I mean, maybe they spend a lot of time on it, but sometimes those things just happen. Because on NPR, Will Shorts does a little thing on Sundays, I believe, where uh, he yeah. he does a little puzzle master thing with the audience, and he, and he gives a puzzle for people to figure out for the next week. And sometimes I'll be listening to the puzzle, he'll describe it, and it's a convoluted thing, and the answer will just pop into my head, not all the time, just occasionally,
2: and it's one of those things where you could spend hours and hours and hours trying to figure it out. Well, they showed him on the air on NPR and one of the puzzles, and this sort of led to some laughs because what the subject matter they were talking about is sort of in the news now, but when they filmed this, it wasn't in the news and it's about like planets and stuff. You, We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Pluto. So uh, Will Short's puzzle was, I'm going to give you a, a topic and the first two letters of the topic... Are also the same first two letters in the answer. Like if I said automaker, the answer right. would be Audi. If I said planets, the answer would be Pluto. And then of course everybody laughed because Pluto's been demoted; it's not invited to the party anymore. So I know. I thought that was it's kind sitting of at funny. the child table. It is. It's it's e- eating from the kids menu, and it's just it's it's been not, demoted. Not that they grossed back onto the Pluto thing, but I saw a a
0: a picture of a billboard that someone put together after this happened, and it showed the Earth being crushed by this giant. Pluto looking asteroid and it said keep treating Pluto like an asteroid and it will start behaving like one <laughs>
2: <laughs> ooh like a threat that's yeah that's hardcore but this is a really cool film I I am a big fan of documentaries and this was just uh, sort of mild fair and very entertaining and uh, one thing I learned was that this woman this fairer woman also mm-hmm. decreed back in the 50s or 60s when she was the New York Times puzzle editor that you cannot use words like urine and enema. And here's Merle Rieger, like, pointing out in the puzzles he's constructing, like, that would be a great spot to put urine and enema. These would have saved my ass so many times, but they're just not allowed because, you know, you can't have the family on a Sunday New York Times crossword puzzle sitting around, and, yeah, it's just, you just can't have that, you know. One thing I learned that I didn't know was that a Monday puzzle is easier than a Tuesday puzzle. Why? Which is easier than a Wednesday puzzle, which is, well, they just have these rules. The deeper you go into the week, the more complex they get. And on Sunday, forget about it. Forget about it. Forget about it. Forget about it. You're toast. How you doing? (laughs) Anyway, check it out. It's a really wonderful film directed by Patrick Creedon. It's uh, 94 minutes, and it's called Wordplay, kind of the the Will Shorts film, The Enigmatologist. Wow. And I think that we're approaching 94 minutes on this show. (laughs) We are, so let's just call it Done. And there you go. It's a show. And it was uh, an eventful show, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, most of which we cut out for your enjoyment. John and I are each, one each, on the dropping the cool studio microphones. <laughs> I dropped one about four months ago, and John, like... Actually, John almost yanked all the equipment off the table today when he was running upstairs to put out a fire. Not literally, but yeah. yeah a kind of a figurative fire. But anyway, check us out on the web www.bloodyveg.com And send us your bank statements to feedback at bloodyveg.com Check out the forum and that includes you Mr. John Spider-Man and Mr. Todd to talk about comics and songs and that's bloodyveg.com slash forum Yep I hear silence <laughs> I got nothing Alright, well remember you're listening to VIB and heed all of our advice